Halloween was a shit. Always a shit. You know, be a Ninja Turtle, be Chuck Norris, be uh, be Shredder, be Splinter, whatever. So me and my little brother were Ninja Turtles one year, and he was super small. I mean, like, you know, maybe five at most. Trick-or-treating down the lane, getting candy, getting getting candy bars. We got bars, son. So, you know, we're like a little height difference, a little leg difference, because we're three years in, in age difference. And my brother fell down. We were holding hands. He fell down face first. And we were like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, he fell. Ha, ha. And it was kind of like this nice little Rick and Morty moment. Full stands up. Look at his forehead. I'm like, are you okay? Split his head open on a piece of gravel. And, like, a couple of years before, my cousin was taking a picture of him. Dropped a camera on his head. Split his head open right in the same spot. Then, like, a year later, we were playing tug-of-war on a door. <laughs> I was fucked up. And I was like... I mean, I was, like, fucked up on drugs. Like, I was a fucked up little kid. My brother, was like, I was, like, a little shit. And so I was holding the inside door, and he was on the outside. He was pulling. I mean, he was up on it, probably both feet on the wall. And I was like, oh, I'm going to let go, and he's going to learn his lesson. So I let go, and it's like, fuck, and nothing happened. And he, he gets up, and he's like, oh. And we look at each other, and he's like, are you all right? Uh, and I, was, I, I asked if he was all right. Why the fuck did he ask? He wouldn't ask if I was all right. So I was like, you all right? And he goes, I don't know. We go, to the, we go to the bathroom, we're both looking in the mirror at the same time, and right on that cross-shaped scar from the two previous wounds, just blood just starts pouring out like fucking stigmata, and he's just like, <laughs> and like the cry he made, the cry he made was amazing, and then I got a week of grounding for every stitch that he got in his forehead. <laughs> that sounds like some stuff your dad and mom would do, for sure. Yeah. Let me see what you uh, my Halloween story. So um, one year I got my uncle George to build me a wooden coffin. And uh, I said it really was just like a big rectangular box. And we set out on my front porch with a black curtain in front of it. And uh, it was Chance and I, I think Andy came over. I'm not sure if either of y'all did, but... Uh, Basically, one was to be in the coffin, and it was, you know, upright. The other guy would be sitting in a chair next to it with a bag of candy. And then as kids would come up and, like, grab the candy, you'd slam the back of the coffin with your hand and pop out and scare the shit out of them. And uh, one one girl, you know, she did that and scared the shit out of her. She ran away, and uh, the parents laughed. And then the next year, you know, we're doing the same thing. And this is, what, like, sixth, seventh grade, I think, maybe? And um, she came up, she's like, I know what's going to happen. You did this to me last year. I'm not going to get scared this year. Sure, shit, I scared the shit out of her. She takes off running across my yard while her father's just sitting there giggling. It's just like, your daughter is, like, permanently traumatized, and you're laughing. You are a good father. Well done. But, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the way we rolled at 709 Daniels. <laughs> well, if you lived over... Uh, on our side of the uh, bicentennial side, over here, uh, bicentennial park, <laughs> you would have been going over to the uh, the the haunted trail ride that they would have every year, and that oh, was yeah. Like, yeah. that was a highlight of Halloween for us. Is like we'd always uh, go trick or treating for a little bit, then go hit up the the haunted trail ride, and then we'd go do some more trick or treating. Well, this is like probably I was probably in junior high at the time, and I was hanging out with Josh Phillips at the time, so. We ended up walking down to uh, Massachusetts Park to just go check out the, the trail ride and everything. And 
I think we went on the trail ride and did a few things. We got bored pretty quick because by that time it was kind of geared towards smaller kids, I want to say. And uh, so we ended up just kind of walking around the park a bit and we got near kind of where the tunnels were um, over in that area. And there was, if you guys remember, there was kind of like a, a little ditch or ravine that kind of separated those areas in that field. And yeah, there was we were like, riding bikes in there. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so Josh and I were over kind of near there. We we're behind uh, that little ravine up there. And we we're kind of like sitting on this like uh, metal rope type thing and just chilling. Oh, yeah, and I like- guess. I guess one of the people that were doing security saw us out there or something, or some reported us. We weren't doing anything. We were just kind of hanging out. And so they, we saw them riding towards us on this like uh, little golf cart, and they were hauling ants. There were two of them. And they're coming right You're in a public park. Yeah, and they like already started putting their shot, their spotlights on us or whatever, and we're just sitting there we're like, what the hell? But what they didn't know is that they were barreling straight towards that ravine. <laughs> and they... <laughs> They hit that, and both of them flew straight through the thing and flew out the front and hit it in there. And people were dying. Like, it was, it was one of the best I've ever seen in my life. They, it took them, like, a bit to get up, but they finally just got back in and just, like, walked, like, try to pull the thing back and, and take it back in. Dude, we were in stitches. It was so fucking funny. One of the funniest moments I've ever had, especially, like, Bicycle Park for something Halloween related. There's this one story that uh, Corey, I think you should tell, um, and and it's one that, like Cody, uh, Cody's <laughs> go kart story. There's a Halloween related story with Corey that I will forever think of and love and and laugh in memory. Um, I think we're going to Hangman's like you and I won that. Right? Yeah. Were yeah. um, <laughs> you? Uh, did you eat with me that night? I think so. I think we're hanging out like that whole day or something. Yeah. So um, (laughs) it was Halloween season and uh, we decided we were going to go to Hangman's House of Horrors. And um, before we went, we had a big, big meal at my mom's house. Uh, She made uh, her uh, pan fried steak, chicken fried steak, whatever you want to call it. And uh, so we ate this big meal and everything. And then we go out to Hangman's, and there's a few other people with us. I forgot how many. And we're waiting in line, just doodly doodly do. And then um, Chris, with his weird uh, fucking pickle obsession, decided <laughs> to get a entire can of Twang powder. Yeah. Just the extremely sour, <laughs> just like you're supposed to put just a little dash of it in some food or drinks. And the Someone had the great idea of daring me to eat it. The entire fucking bottle. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So I popped the cap on that sucker and just bottoms up and poured the entire thing of powder down my throat. I took it like a champ, let me tell you. He did. He did, to his credit. And, uh, well, momentarily I took it like a champ because I got down. No, 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 no dodging. And as soon, I think, as it made contact with the contents of my <laughs> stomach, that delicious chicken fried steak my mama had made for us, there was a natural <laughs> chemical reaction similar to Mentos and soda. And all of that came out from my mouth and my nostrils. And 
you can usually <laughs> taste what you're throwing up for better or for worse. But this was a neat mixture of delicious chicken fried steak made by a tiny, nice southern lady, my mother, and horrible, horrible sour twang. <laughs> and you can imagine what it looked like as well. And just over and over and over, it literally emptied the contents of my stomach. And, uh, you know, I shook it off and, uh, you know, wiped my eyes because there were quite a few tears from that violent vomiting. And uh, we went and had uh, a good, fun time at the high in the house. To your credit, I don't know if I would have been able to recover after vomiting. I probably would have been just want to go home. I'm like, fuck this. I'm going home. You went, you powered through it. You soldiered on. So, well, hey, the Hind House was there. We need, there, there's so many stories about that fucking Hind House where you go into, but that would be an entire fucking episode, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, cause I know, like, I used to work there. I'm not sure. Who, I know Andy Kelly and I did for a while. But, uh, yeah, it was like a straight-up scam because they, like, took half, more than half your fucking wages for their fucking charity. So you're just, like, indentured servitude, basically. So I got I got busted for weed when I was, like, 23, 1.1 grams of marijuana. Give me, give me a fucking break, Arlington PD. And they said I smelled like piss. That was a, that was a, that hurt, bro. That hurt my heart. But, so, I, I failed probation. I, I failed probation for drug tests for for this possession charge that I ended up playing down and like serving off. And they were like, all right, you got to do 60 hours of community service. And I was like, fuck this system's fucking a joke, but you want to know where I did my, my community service? How ass hangman. hangman? And, I, and I fucking was like the Jack the Ripper and like got to like perform like for that, my, my whole entire community service. And I was just say skull raping people, demon style. Inside no way. For a so wait, wait, let me get the, so, I think I might be getting haunted houses mixed up because there's Hangman's House of Horror, which was over by the zoo and fucking uh, the log cabin village shit ass. And then there was the yeah, cutting yeah. edge that was in that big no, ass no, no. fucking warehouse. Not bad. It was cutting edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I yeah, that, that, that's where we had the where I puked my guts up everywhere. I would not. I'm yeah, not it was to cutting do, like, edge. Stolen valor for Hangman's. No, I don't. I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about Halloween. Right. I think uh, it's time we actually get into the meat of the show. Uh, this like is uh, Blood Sucking Geeks, Episode 7. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, Night of the Demons this week. Spooky, spooky. Um, but uh, it's just uh, myself, uh, Corey, and Cody this week. We don't have Robert, uh, but we hope to have him back uh, here real soon. We know he's out working really hard, and I think he's doing big great. Cat. He's out what was there that? digging graves. He's out there digging graves. You know it. Yeah, yeah, yep. It's gonna be a thick Halloween in the Floyd household. Oh shit! There's some uh, <laughs> crazy stuff happening, uh, old Crowley. It seems like um, always. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's the the Halloween season. This is going to be our official Halloween episode uh, for this year. Uh, Corey, your, it was your idea to do Night of the Demons, right? Yes, it was. Um, we wanted to get something, you know, in the Halloween spirit. Uh, lots of people. I This is like uh, the way alcoholics consider St. Patrick's Day amateur hour. 
the Halloween season for us horror freaks are what we consider amateur hour. We're like, oh, I'm going to watch a horror movie during this. It's like, fuck you. This is the way we live our lives. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to get something that was truly in the spirit of Halloween. And um, this movie, it takes place on Halloween night. It was originally t- titled Halloween Party. And um, it's just an all-time classic movie, and I thought it would be perfect, and I uh, think everyone will agree with me on this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. No, I I really do. uh, I really did enjoy it. I think uh, this is – it's weird because it's not very often that we have a consensus all around, like, thumbs up. Uh, Usually, it seems like we're focused on the shitty movies uh, most (laughs) of the time, and this is actually a really good movie. Uh, It was actually – because my wife is not a fan of, of most like 80s and 90s horror movies anymore. She more, like the she prefers something that she thinks is like genuinely scary, like something like Con- The Conjuring, uh, that that sort of stuff. When she watches horror movies, yeah. she wants to get really scared. Um, so she doesn't really enjoy a lot of the older stuff that I, I watch. Um, a lot of times, like shit like Ghoulies and Critters, like she hates <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> And she thought she was going to hate this movie, too, going into it. But she ended up sitting down with me and my brother Adam to watch it. And uh, she liked it. She, actually, yeah. she was like, hey, I actually like that movie. It's pretty good. And uh, and so, man, uh, I'll tell you what, though. I will admit, uh, to be completely transparent, I had never seen this movie going in. And, so. uh, I've told you my disappointment. Uh, and, yeah. um, <laughs> but, you know, we're fixing you. We're uh, making you a better person. It takes a village. Yes, it does. It does indeed. It's, well, it's, this is one of those, and there's probably a few that are still on my list that I have to probably look at. But these are what it's. It's one of those movies that I've always should have watched, or I've always just maybe missed out on because I remember seeing this in the uh, in videos and JJ's videos, JR videos, and Crowley yeah. all the time, and I loved the box art. Uh, oh of yeah, it. yeah. I, I just it was so cool looking in it. I really wanted to get it, but I my mom would never rent it for me. <laughs> and it, it it just got to be and then after a while I just never revisited. I'm surprised that none of us watched it together because I don't remember you, me, or Cody ever really watching it or, or even really discussing it growing up. No, I mean like I think especially around that time the sequel was a big thing because that came out in uh ninety four. So we were probably seeing lots of the box and the box art for all, all three of them, the three uh, one, two, and three in the original iteration of it uh, all have really similar box art of, you know, Angela as the demon eating like a lollipop with a skull instead of a sucker uh, and all in demon makeup, which is just classic, awesome demon makeup. And, um, you know, looking back, I always thought it was probably going to be a scary ass, you know, just terrifying movie. Just, you know, 12 year old me to seeing that the way they had the demon, but you know, it, it knows what it is. It's not trying to be something that's not. It's a cheesy, campy movie, but um, it's fantastic. I mean, it's a straight-up exploitation, just trying to make money off, you know, Linnea Quigley's ass, which I'm looking at right now as your background, and um, <laughs> some pretty cool uh, gore and stuff. So, I mean, they're just trying to get some uh the stuff that people wanted to see in the movies at the time, and uh, I think it delivered, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. I'll tell you this, if I had known that uh, Linnea Quigley was in this movie and playing the role that she did growing up, I would have found this and rented it and never oh, returned it. It would have it would have gone in my vault and never, no, no other <laughs> human would have ever seen that again. Uh, no, this movie, I mean, 
I mean, yeah. I mean, for a a young teenage boy, this movie has it all. I mean, oh yeah. It, you, I mean, yeah. It has like violence, the sex, just like ridiculous, like spoofy kills. It's just it has everything, and it's just I think more than, than anything, this movie's just fun to watch. You know, it's just a, it's just yeah, fun to yeah. Watch. I mean, it's I for me, this is the Halloween movie, even though. There's this other movie called Halloween, I think, that people like. Um, to me, oh, this yeah. is uh, just such fun and has it doesn't take itself seriously right. at all. And um, looking at the story of how it was made, um, you can see how everyone really enjoyed working together and just how they came together to make a movie with limited means because it cost uh, – the director said it cost like 1.2 million, but he claims that he never saw that much money. So uh, they really had to uh, do what they could to put it together, and I think they did a great job. Yeah, because it's essentially a, a basically a haunted house film. Uh, it yeah. mostly takes place inside the, the house. So I can see how if you're going to do something on a budget, just kind of restricting it to one set and you know do it in, in one place is kind of the way to do it. I would imagine just trying to keep yeah. the cost low. Like, so they had the script and then they found this house, which was an actual house in the middle of LA. Uh, they had to do some match shots and whatnot to make it look like it's out in the country and everything. But it was on the busy corner, like a busy intersection with like a bus stop right there. And, uh, so they already had the script and the director and writer went into the house and kind of just tailored the script to use what they had in that house. Right. So they were like, okay, we can't do this, but we have this in the house. And they had the writer himself actually go back and rewrite some stuff to work with what they had. So I know Cody's talked about in the past where you get access to a certain location and then you kind of tailor the story around that. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did here. And uh, it's pretty cool listening to what they had to do. Yeah, I know this is going to be fun. I'm really excited. There's some really good characters in this, um, and spoiler alert, like, uh, I, I, I will say Sal is probably the most, <laughs> like, normal thinking character in any horror movie I've seen in a very long time. It's just funny. Yeah. It's just, if you're, you're always, you always are critical of the characters in horror movies that do stupid shit and just make irrational decisions. And he's like the one guy, the entire movie is completely rational and is like level headed. He's like, I'm not, this is crazy. I'm out of here. Like, he knows when the, like pull chalks and uh, try to get out of there. Yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying because, you know, Angela does her little demon dance and we'll get all into the details about this, but, and then he sees uh, Suzanne, you know, topless and whatnot. And, you know, he doesn't even let his pecker get in the way of his thinking. <laughs> the only quibble I have with his rationale is uh, at the beginning of the movie where he goes to um, Judy's house to see where the party's at. And he's basically openly threatening this small child, her little brother, with violence <laughs> on their front porch while the mother's inside making fudge logs. And, uh, I mean, he's literally, like, holding him by the collar with his fist raised. Like, he's just going to sock this kid on his porch. So, uh, a little he bit of a, a hothead. Yeah, he has a, I will admit, a very uh, strange character arc for him. He goes, He's, like, low, and then he comes back up, and then... Pretty much, he's back down again towards the end of the movie. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll say why later. But I did like his character, and we'll talk more about that. But uh, before we get to that, we have a few more sections that we want to talk about. And first up is Geek Vision, where we discuss the latest like horror-related movies or shows that we've been watching lately. Uh, I know that uh, 
Big Cat's not here this week. Uh, Cody dropped off the call. Is he going to be gone for good, or is he jumping back on yeah. at some point? I think he's going to be jumping back on. Okay, okay. So we'll just uh, we'll just soldier on then, and we'll uh, pick Cody back up when he gets here. So uh, I'll admit, I have not been watching uh, much horror stuff. Um, I haven't finished uh, any horror movies this past week. We did start a new anthology flick on uh, Shudder. I can't remember what, this, what it was called. Um, off the top of my head, but it was it was pretty cool. Um, I will say though, and I want to talk about a, a movie I just watched called Good Boys. It's that I think uh, Seth Rogen produced. Oh yeah, directed one. <laughs> I I heard some good things about it right when it released, but uh, that's a movie that my wife is not going to go to the theater and watch. Uh, so we never <laughs> saw it, and it kind of fell off my radar. And then I was just kind of uh, flipping through stuff the other night, and I saw it, and I was like, oh man. This will be a good one for me and Adam, uh, my brother, to watch. And we started watching it, and, dude, we were dying laughing minutes into it. It's such a great movie because it's it's you're, at its core, it's essentially like an 80s kids movie where they, you know, like they break something of their parents and they have to go get the money to buy the thing to replace it before their dad comes home. And all along the way, there's all this hijinks and other stuff. But with this one, it's like he's little kids just talking re- about really inappropriate <laughs> stuff. They end up like ha- they they end up are involved in like drug deals. They are like uh, attacking frat houses and, and shooting people with paintball guns. So much craziness happens throughout this movie. Uh, it's so wild and crazy. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's a, a fun uh, movie that I've not watched a movie like that in a very long time. They just don't seem to make them that way. Uh, so if you are looking for something fun to watch, that's absolutely not like kid friendly. <laughs> check that out, man, because it's a lot of fun. Have you, have you seen that before? Yeah, I saw it um, earlier this year. Uh, and it was, I saw it with a different group of people and it was a huge hit. Uh, just wildly wildly inappropriate and uh that's part of the greatness of it is you know if you had people like us saying half the shit they were saying it would lose lots of its uh humor but seeing these awesome kids saying these terrible things is just honestly that's the way we talked when we were there right i mean of course we weren't involved in drug deals and the hygiene <laughs> necessarily but i mean if you don't think kids talk my, that um, you're living in a fucking fans. Like when we were like 13, or 14, oh. I remember that though. So there were some drug oh, deals going go. on in the Winn Dixie park a lot. Um, <laughs> no, but the one thing I, and it's, it's almost so easy to uh, pass over and maybe, maybe um, I'm looking too, too much into it. And I've been known to do that before, but um, I think the, the writing and especially the dialogue in that movie was so well done because the kids are talking about stuff that if you really think about it, they don't really know what they're talking about. It's stuff that they've overheard, like their parents say, and yeah. they're repeating it. Like there's this one kid that keeps burning this other kid at school. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, like your dad got two DUIs and now he has to take the train to work. And so, like, <laughs> you know, that's probably just like gossip that his parents are discussing at the dinner table. Like, I could hear, like, oh, did you hear, uh, you know, old Jimmy down the street got another DUI? Well, now he's got to take the train to work, the dumbass. And now the kid's, like, taking that 
stuff to, to school and uh, burning them. So I, I really loved it. Man, uh, I, it's going to be on a regular rotation, I think, from now on, where it's just, I, if I want to watch just a really uh, depraved, debauchery-filled uh, movie with, you know, but still, like, with good intentions at heart, that's the one that's oh, yeah. going to go. It, Sorry, it's so hard. I was sitting in line at the bank with my, uh, my my phone dad, so I'm back. Oh, Cody's hey. back. Um, Cody, I was just talking about how awesome Good Boys was. Oh, dude, it's fucking hilarious, and it and I was like, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was kind of a rip when I first saw it. I was like, oh, this isn't going to be great. And me and my wife were touched, man. We were t- we were straight up touched. <laughs> so it's, it's like that's what I was just saying. It's like as de- uh, like just. As depraved as that movie can be, it's still like a good story at heart. Um, and um, it was a sad, you know, it was sad. But anyway, uh, have you been uh, watching anything uh, this past week, Cody? You want to talk oh, about? Oh, yeah. So last week we uh, we did uh, like a two pack of movies. One is a Blumhouse film called Evil Eye, and it's on Amazon right now. It has this girl named Sunita Amani, and this this chick is like a triple threat. Comedy, uh, she's like as a comedy and dance troupe for, with some people that I've worked with. She's on Glow. She's on Mr. Robot. Now she's in this movie and she's playing like a traditional like Indian like young lady who's being set up with guys over and over and over. She's not into it. Uh, and then she meets this guy who's like the perfect dude. But shit starts going down and her mom's like in India and her mom's like this sexy Indian chick. I can't remember her name, which I, you know, I guess that's the worst thing to say about someone, but I did it. I just said it. But so anyway, essentially evil eye, like the mom is like concerned about Sunita. She's just like, Oh, this guy's not right for you. I need to meet him. Then she starts realizing this guy is her like past love that like beat this shit out of her and made her drowned and stuff. And like, he's like been reincarnated. But half the damn movie takes place on the phone, so I fell asleep. But man, when I woke back up and mom was in was in the United States, it was like they were together. And shit, shit popped off. It, it fucked, fucked hard. I liked it. <laughs> but anyway, highly recommended. I don't know why though. I don't know why Blumhouse did the four pack of movies. They should have done a series because this movie could have been done in forty eight minutes instead of the hour and like Dingleberry that it was. So, and then Ooh, cool. uh, so Evil Eye. Yeah, absolutely. Evil Eye with Sunita Amani. It's a Blumhouse film, the four-pack that's free on Amazon right now for Halloween. And then over the past week, the reason – and I apologize for missing the last cast, but I did a short film, a half dozen videos with the Dallas Morning News, a podcast, a music video, and a documentary. So – and and a Busy promo. For, so it's it's been a – Oh, yeah. A Your hell- promos have been uh, knocking them out of the park there. Oh, Very popular. You. It was fun. Be on the lookout. There's some. Uh, there might be a ringer tea on your way, on your, your doorsteps. Uh oh. Uh oh. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Uh, Corey, what about you? Have you been watching anything? I know you've been watching. I mean, all you do is watch horror. So yeah. Um, you gotta go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> so I watched um, on Shutter, and I posted on the Facebook group uh, this new movie called The Cleansing Hour, which was. Really, really good. Um, it basically tells the story of this group of people who have their web series and uh, they stage exorcisms. They're all fake and everything. And then one day they're doing a show and the person that's supposed to show up to play the possessed person is a no-show. And there's a scene that shows why. So one of the, the producer's girlfriend stands in. And during the course of all this, it 
comes to light that she is no shit possessed already. And so what they think is a fake exorcism becomes a real exorcism and all their, you know, shenanigans and uh, tomfoolery to hide their, you know, trickery is exposed. And it's really, really awesome. They play it really well. The girl that plays uh, the chick that gets possessed does a tremendous job. Uh, you know, we just watched The Exorcist a few weeks ago, and I would put it right up there with Linda Blair in her performance. Uh, they kind of get a little carried away towards the end with the twist and um, how much they show. The ending, the whole concept is awesome. They just go, they buy off a little more than they can chew, I think, with uh, what they show. And I know a few people out there on the Facebook group were talking to me about this, but um, I highly recommend it. It's on Shudder, The Cleansing Hour. Uh, it takes, I would say, about 25 minutes before the film really picks up. So if you can hang in there through that first half hour, uh, I think you'll be really uh, pleased with what happens. And uh, I recommend it for sure. I completely forgot, but I watched that movie also this week, and it is yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we watched that. Yeah. This—that's the kind of movie that Jamie likes. She she likes more of like demonic type stuff, stuff that she thinks could like actually happen, but done in a serious manner that's really scary. And um, this movie, I don't think was like really scary, but it, it had its moments. It had some good gore and stuff. And, and you're you're right. Uh, that girl, and I can't remember who the actress was. I know I've seen her in something before because she looks very familiar. Uh, she knocked out the park. It was very, yeah. very well done um, all around. I love the uh, the the even the, the the priest. I thought he did a really yeah. good role, like kind of that like, like sleazy uh, priest. But you just knew there was something underlying. There was more to his character, and so there was right. some good subtlety to to him. Even um, this was one of those ones that just kind of came out of nowhere. I was like, whoa, this is actually really good. Um, yeah, like and like you said, my only complaints were. I think you know what scene I'm talking about yeah, that yeah. they kind of uh, go overboard. And then I know th who I was talking to on Facebook about this didn't really notice it, but uh, the blood, it was kind of an orangish color and very watery looking. It's like, I don't know, that just stuck out to me. And it's just like they got their mixture wrong or something when they were coming up with their fake blood. So, but otherwise, I, I recommend it, especially yeah. if you like the. Is it like a tang? Type look. It looks like tang. <laughs> A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. It just doesn't look like blood to me. Yeah. Oh, speaking of orange blood, I don't know if you guys know this, but tampon commercials most recently stopped using the blue <laughs> liquid. And now they have like this translucent orange liquid that looks like, you know, baby girl, like might need like some cranberry juice or something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween. Someone's got to eat like a Halloween. Guy. So we could jump into the male body bag, but we have a special guest that's going to be joining us, uh, a Crowley alum, Crowley High School, long time. Uh, Cody, Jesse Alcala is our guest for the male body bag this week, but... Um, I think you've probably been friends with Jesse longer than any of us. I mean, I, oh, I've yeah. known him quite a long time myself, but I, I, had, oh, I think you may have even introduced us. I, I can't remember, but how long have you known Jesse? Dude, yeah, he moved into Beauville in like, like 
end of fifth grade, I think, like summer of fifth grade. And he had a pool and I was like, Oh, I didn't know that dude. But he was also just like this kick ass kid from San Jose. And I was like, you're from Cali. What the fuck does that mean? And, uh, yeah, man. And then we just like forged a lifelong bond just like going to the park and looking for fossils and like, you know, trying to, uh, trying to trick the cable box into getting porn on channel 99 <laughs> you know, uh, and, and like staying up fucking late as shit watching just like random ass movie games like in his household, you know? And, uh, and so like after like, a month of like knowing this dude. No, no, no. It wasn't a month. It was the first week. We're walking home from school. It's sixth grade. It's Deer, Deer Creek Elementary. And, and if you know us, 90s kids, first of all, Putnam <laughs> Boy, always out till sundown. So you get, like, you can't even hang out with the Putnam Boys just because of that. And then we were latchkey motherfuckers. We were latchkey fuckers of mothers. Okay. And essentially what happened is we were walking home and we forgot our fucking latch key. We had, we forgot it. And Jesse was like, Oh, I can pick the lock. No problem. I got <laughs> so he gets a fucking gardening trowel, like a tiny spade. With like this blunt. It's this fucking big. It's as big as like your thumb. And he's like, proceeds to jam it in the lock and start spinning it around, just smashing the full on like thing. It's like the, 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 tube of the, of the keyhole or whatever it is you know and just destroys it and we then we couldn't get in he was like well i can break it down and we were like no <laughs> stop done enough i can break it down <laughs> that's how my parents met jesse alcala oh my god like, picking the lock so i'll just use brute and, force and many moons ago like me him and like uh like uh my brother were like hanging out and we had this old video camera and we started thinking about like, oh, let's make a movie. And we had this dumbass idea for a horror movie called Undertow. And it's about all these kids like, I don't know if they were drowning in the creek or Benbook Lake. But like one day we're going to make that shit. But back in the day, we had these like grand plans of like making a movie about it. And I remember somewhere exists a scene that we shot that's like us waking up and like being like, we got to go camping and like putting all this stuff in a car, dude. It's It exists somewhere. Yeah, it's It's stupid that we didn't. Use that part for movies back when we were kids. What were we thinking, man? There's such a missed opportunity there. We could have done so much stuff there. But yeah, Jesse uh, is just letting me know momentarily, and he would love to ask some questions. And uh, uh, yeah, he's one of our ride or die uh, bloodsuckers, man. Yeah. Appearing some of uh, our videos there. All right, and now it's time for the male body bag. And in this section is when we answer questions from the bloodsuckers out in the community and this week we actually have one of our favorite bloodsuckers from the community jesse alcala joining us and he's going to be asking some questions but jesse we've known you a long time it's good to see you on the podcast and you've actually already done some or been involved in some promo material for the bloodsucking geek so thank you for that my friend absolutely it was fun as hell man i mean it honestly getting out with Cody again and stuff like that. It was just kind of, it, it's weirdly nostalgic, mm-hmm. but uh, a whole lot of fun just dealing with all this shit again, you know? I was just saying to Cody, because we were actually uh, telling some stories about you before you came on. Uh, so you'll you'll be able to listen to some of those uh, when the uh, episode airs. But I was just saying how stupid it was for all of us <laughs> not to have used the park for shooting like films when we were kids and growing up. Like, it's such a awesome area um and it had one of us been smart enough to like have a camera uh or get obtain a camera it, we could have done some really cool stuff out there oh definitely i mean the 
there are so many places that even Cody and I went out uh, scouting some stuff for maybe something in the future. And we were just looking at it like, God, if we would have just been back here, especially even with the shitty camcorder, Mm -hmm. I mean, hell, it might have even looked pretty great with that. Just, you know, even adding to it with it being low quality. So, yeah, but, um, I mean, but how many times and everything that we spent back there just getting lost on purpose and trying to find shit that we were not supposed to be in was awesome. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, so, Jesse, when did you end up moving to Crowley? Uh, I moved to Crowley in, I believe it was 1993. Uh, I was just, uh, it was the summer of me starting the sixth grade. And okay. that like first day that I moved here, pretty sure is whenever I ran into Cody and I uh, was around. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because the first time he saw me, I was riding my brand new bike and he thought I was crying because my dumbass didn't know how to wear, wear a hat properly. And I was <laughs> blind from the fucking sun. So I had it pulled real low <laughs> and he was like, dude, I thought you were crying the first time I saw you. And I was like, well, that was, yeah. That's that 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 track. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. No, we we had some some really fun stories to, to say I was um, about crying the time that Jesse tried to help me get in my in my house when I was locked out, which was like a week <laughs> after. <laughs> uh, well, you know what it is. It's that's partially your slight racism at the time, thinking that every Mexican can break into a house. <laughs> So true, I do hand him trial. I did hand him the, uh, the garden implement. I did. He didn't. He didn't just grab it himself. I, did. I enabled it. So you weren't <laughs> suggesting that a Mexican also would know his way around gardening tools, is what you're saying? Fuck. <laughs> Sixth grade. You racist ass. Um, so Jesse, uh, yeah, I want to throw it to you. If you have any questions. Uh, throw at us uh far away buddy uh yeah um one of the things i was wondering was how you guys decided on the four of you um coming together to kind of make this podcast make it happen man um this actually has been in 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 i guess in some form of motion for probably maybe four years or so now because robert and myself and I think you, maybe Cody, you were involved in it too. We started talking about doing a wrestling podcast for a while. Oh, we were going to do a wrestling podcast where we just basically do recaps of, of like WWE, AEW, uh, Ring of Honor. And it just, it never really got off the ground uh, between us. And then I guess it was earlier this year or sometime, it, Cody you, or Corey, you and I started talking, I think, maybe yeah, about it. Started- talking about um when the new season of the last driving with joe bob briggs came out we started talking just horror movies and whatnot then uh started adding cody and robert into the conversation and then we just started you know why the fuck not do a podcast and uh that's how it got started for me at least is just talking about joe bob briggs and the last driving and i know we all like horror movies and whatnot so uh in the end, it was just basically uh, putting words to action because we can talk about it all week long. And sometimes, like coming up with an episode takes a while because we have these ideas. But, like you said, you know, 
Chris is in New Jersey. Cody and Robert are in Texas. I'm in Washington. So uh, we got a big time difference, and that's always a pain. But lots of times it's just about, you know, getting down to it and doing it, whether you're ready for it or not. For me, it was like, you know, you guys suggested doing this, and I was, I've was i always wanted to do a podcast that was kind of like non-sequitur, just guys catching up. They don't even acknowledge the audience, right? And so I was like just going to take it from that angle. I was just like, I'm going to be that guy this whole time. But then when I realized we're doing film stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, like we like I actually might have something to say about this. And it just started becoming uh, sort of this lifelong day job with a dream type of situation where I'm like, oh, man, let's talk about the shit that we loved. And maybe we can parlay that into more fun or we just end up catching up anyway. And like the bullshitting and camaraderie is like feels like it never stopped like from day the first day of, you know. <laughs> yeah, it really felt like it just like we just picked back all picked right back up from, you know, high school again, really. Yeah. Um, hold on. Give me one second. I'm going to try something here. Oh, shit. Holy shit. Those are fancy. Damn. <laughs> we got LEDs. LEDs. Oh. He's got fancy books behind him. Like a library. I'm not even He's sure alert this thing works, so. <laughs> <laughs> Smells of mahogany. He's a good Oh, dude. The other day, they called the pump essay. Yeah, I don't even know how to do that, so it's not working. Oh, well. uh, I was trying to do it to where I could, because I know sometimes it'll do like reverb or whatever with you guys, and uh, I didn't want my sound to fuck up the podcast, basically. No, no, you sound great, man. Yeah, I think I think it's it's, it's sounding okay. Oh, right hold now. on, I think it started working. Damn it. Okay. Hello. Yep. Can you hello? Okay. That was weird. All right. I was trying to see. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds very okay. Good. I was trying to see if I could get this going because I know I've heard someone talking on the podcast before with like huge echo, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. Um, okay. So, um, another question that I had for you guys, and this one I've thought about a lot, and I still can't come up with a solid answer, is if you could remake a horror movie, which one? Or, or make a sequel, which one would it be, and who would you cast as a lead, or would you leave it the original cast? Wow, that is a good question. Um, I would, I, I think I would immediately go to something for a horror movie that I had always wished they'd done a sequel to, and for whatever reason, I'm just trying, that's where my mind immediately goes to, but I'm just trying to think of what would be a horror franchise that never you know, gonna, got a sequel that, that maybe deserved one. I'm going to stab at this. And, and this is borrowing off of a, a situation that I, I heard firsthand from Robert England. It's like back when Sam Raimi had unfuckable fuck everyone money from Spider-Man, he was going to make a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash movie. And that would be the film that I would do. But okay, here's the thing. I would, I mean, I'd probably, I wouldn't recast Bruce Campbell, but I would want to do like a young Bruce Campbell. I don't know how to, how to explain that. Like, I still want Bruce Campbell in the movie. Like, I still want him to be Ash, but I also want a young one. And that would be the movie where he's like saving the world from sequels. 
you know, and he wins in the end. And, but the reason that movie never <laughs> fucking got made and the, and, and I'm, it's not my original idea, but that's the movie that I would want the most. And, uh, new line was, or maybe particularly the owners of the Jason, like story rights were like, Jason can't lose. But like the Freddy Krueger fuckers were like, let's do it. But the Jason fuckers were like, nah, that's messed up. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm more of a Jason fucker than a Freddy fucker, just so you know. So like, okay, that's fair. Hell yeah, Corey. Do that you explains a lot with Jason Anthony. Yeah, I would say uh, I got two because as far as the remake goes, so I usually hate fucking remakes because they're remaking movies that are already awesome. Like the fucking Evil Dead remake is a great goddamn movie. But while I was watching it, I can't help but judge it compared to the original. Now, if you slap any other fucking title on that movie, that is a badass movie. But because it's called Evil Dead, it, so um, a movie that I think they could do better with a bigger budget and uh, everything is a uh, movie Fade to Black. Mm. Uh, I, I know Chris just watched yeah. that recently as well. Um it's an 80s movie. This guy basically dresses up as his favorite horror monsters and characters and kills people that he feels is wronged him. It's a really cool concept, but I don't think they really executed it that well and would like to see uh, someone take another crack at it. As far as a sequel, um, I would like to see one of my favorite movies of all time, The Burbs, just to see uh, what happened on that uh cul-de-sac after the Clopex went down and uh, see if maybe Corey Feldman grew up to take over the block after Tom Hanks moved away or I don't know, just explore that neighborhood a little bit more. But uh, well, his I know that passed never away, happened. so you'd have to recast his character. Yeah. yeah. In, the, in the story, you could do it classy. You could, like, say, you know, he got killed at some point and play that up as a story that it's, like, his character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I would yeah. love to see that come from like Corey Feldman's point of view. Like he's like talking about his old neighborhood. And, still you know, dropped the but then he's that. still like when they did the new uh, vacation movie with Rusty all grown up. So yeah. Uh, no, I mean, here's the thing. Like as far as the birds go, like that movie solidifies the trilogy or the tr- uh, the triad of Corey greatness, which is <laughs> night, uh, the it's the Friday the Thirteenth fucking. Uh, Oh shit! Um, Lost Boys, Lost Boys, and motherfucking uh, uh, the 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 burbs. Weren't they both in License to Drive? Also, yes, yes. That was a good one. I'm here to tell you though, like the real Corey, like big dick energy comes from those three movies. And also, he was supposed to be fucking Jason, like, and not just fucking Jason. He was also supposed to be Jason in the in the the sequel (laughs) to this report. Like, cause at the end he's all like fucking creepy and shape head and he's all like in the war, the woods yeah. and sh- I highly and recommend the crystal Lake, uh, memories, uh, six hour documentary. If you guys haven't seen it, it, it goes over all this kick-ass behind the scenes stuff, casting behind the scenes stories. They talk to everybody. It's, it's, it's well worth the six hours. I haven't watched the nightmare one yet, but I will. Well, whenever you're talking about Corey Feldman, the one thing you have to realize is he went from being one horror as Jason to another as a 99 cent store Michael Jackson. Dude, the and neither one of them was really that good. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you um, put some respect on his name when you talk about his dancing. Respect. <laughs> uh, I, I would say uh, I would love to see a sequel to Tucker and Dale. Uh, because I thought that movie kind of came out of nowhere and it was original 
it's super funny, and both of those guys knocked it out of the park uh, with their role. Uh, so if anyone's listening doesn't know, it's, it's, it's basically these two good old boys go out uh, to a cabin that one of them owns out in the woods, uh, but there's also a group of, like, uh, college-age kids going out, you know, party, your classic stuff, and all these hijinks ensue. But it always, it's always just by a strange coincidence or happenstance that, it, like, Tucker and Dale are happen to uh, be around them. And it makes it look like Tucker and Dale are killing these kids, but they're just innocent guys. And these kids are just end up in weird ways, just end up, like, falling into a wood chipper or something like that. And <laughs> it makes it, and it, it, it's usually viewed from the, the lens of the kids' perspective, and so they see Tucker and Dale like just killing them, and they're uh, and there's a good twist at the end too that uh, I thought was awesome. So I would I just both of those characters um, I love them a lot, and I would love to see more of them um, in some way, whether it be like a TV show, uh, a series I think would be awesome, or just a, uh, a, a a sequel I think would be good. Man, I love those love those dudes. Yeah. Um- I, I can tell you, uh, I'm about to drop some knowledge on you. They are making a sequel. No oh, shit, they, really? Oh, well. Yes, they confirmed it. It was like at a Comic-Con a while ago, and the guy who did the original said that uh, uh, he's not going to rush it. He's going to take his time with it. That way they do the characters right and do the script right to where it's not just a bullshit sequel. Like They want it to be legit. Okay, and and it's going to have the same two guys. I'm switching my uh, pick. I want a, a Bill and Ted sequel. <laughs> I want a Bill and Ted 3. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's happening. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Literally, the They should have the guy alive. from uh, The Lost Boys in it. Yeah. Oh, man. He hasn't really been doing anything. Which guy? Christian Slater? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. No. <sighs> That was interview with the cube. <laughs> no, it's uh, gleaming the vampire, dude. Yes, yeah, the vampire. Jesse, I, well, I saw you blowing up the thread with some questions before I uh, signed off over there. Uh, first of all, mad respect for being one of our ride or die bloodsuckers. That's like that's that's just like that's that's enough. That's enough for me. Awesome. I'll tell you. Hey, we'll, yeah, we'll throw this on its head real quick, and we're gonna. Um, we're going to give a, a, a little bit of uh, a spoiler for a, a new little bit that we're going to do when we interview uh, guests uh, from now on where we do. It's Have you heard of the whole, um, like, fuck, Mary kill uh, premise for as, as questions go, Jesse? Yes, there's always okay. a right answer, no matter how wrong it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to do that, FML, right? And so, Corey... Give me a list of three movies, and Jesse, you're going to have to pick which one that you would bang, which one you'd marry, and which one you'd kill. So and killing is a- obviously one you don't want, and you would basically be wiping it from existence. Marry is something... reason why for each? Just a brief yep. reason why. Yeah, so you get the idea. So, Corey, okay. I'll hand it over to you. Okay, give me a second. I didn't... This you is, didn't prepare all, me for this, you wait, son of a bitch. It. You gotta ad lib. This is Hollywood, baby. Okay, uh, let's see here. Yeah, it's like, like me on the promo going, Do you want something else? This is not cool. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll throw one. Uh, Children of the Corn is one. 
You pick a random movie, Corey. Just throw oh, um... Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. And Bride of Chucky. Boom. Okay. Oh, Jesus. Um, well, luckily, uh, because of your recommendations, I have not seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. <laughs> so pretty sure that one I would kill. Um, Dead. Children of the Corn is a classic. It's creepy as hell. Um, and then Bride of Chucky is, I mean, is that's Jennifer Tilly, right? Yep. Yeah, and her tits. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I would have to say, oh. fuck that one. <laughs> and marry <laughs> Children of the Corn. Because okay, so, I at least got to run through that once. I mean, here's the thing. I don't, I'm not an advocate for this, but I'm going to fuck Children of the Corn. Because it was, it's a classic it's a franchise. It, it <laughs> it, it takes us it takes us places i mean i think there's six or seven children deep at this point in the corn and so i'm marrying i'm marrying the bride of chucky and i don't know if polygamy is okay but it, i guess it is okay if it's you know with those with those beautiful just large um, tracts of land yes uh there's, well, that, there's, a, there's a certain density around that planetary body uh who by the way shout out to jennifer tilly turned like 60 something this this last past like she's in what her yeah bro Damn. and uh and she's still doing Chucky movies, if I'm not mistaken. But maybe yeah, they I don't just know. did Cult of Chucky. And then, uh, and then I'm, you know, so like I said, I'm, and then I'm killing, uh, uh, I'm killing the other one. You know, I'm, I'm killing the one that Corey said. <laughs> Chris? All right, awesome. Um, oh, well, you know, what? I'm definitely fucking uh, uh, Bride of Chucky until the wheels fall off that that train, and you know what? Like, I think she's still rolling strong, so I, I would go with that. And I would, uh, what did I say? Fuck, uh, Chill of the Corn or uh, Bride of Chucky? So you would fuck Bride of Chucky, and I'm going to marry yes, Chill of the Corn. So I guess it's going to be the same one as as you, uh, Jesse. So um, I think that's oh. My wife just came in. Hello. Yeah, uh, I, I have to say with, with mine, I just didn't want to say that I would talk uh, to the children of the porn. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just want to say you're all wrong because, as you alluded to, all three of you sick, twisted fucks said you would either marry or fuck children. <laughs> and that is wrong. That I, I oh, like a firm stand like, against fucking or marrying children. The court. And so um I'm going to take the uh, moral high ground here. I'm going to kill children. Oh wow. And uh mostly because all I don't get movies that uh where children are the villain, regardless of how evil they are, because guess what? They might come up to your waist, you pun them, they're out of your way, movie over. Fuck children. The court. But if there's um, an army of them, they're kids. Jesus Christ, dude, they're dude, children. What was that village of the damned? Those kids could fuck you up. I'll oh, fuck those kids too. Those are black eyed kids. Uh, uh, something like that. Uh, but they were yeah. like mind control, so you wouldn't be able to defeat them because they would just look at you and then Your you would kill yourself. Show them a fucking candy bar and they're done. They're easy. <laughs> 
fishing. All that is is outsmarting fish. If you can't outsmart a kid, you deserve to fucking die. They're children. Uh, I would fuck Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 because if nothing else, Leatherface likes to, you know, wear some women's clothes and stuff, and that might be kind of kinky. Just, you know, try something. And then uh, Mary Bride of Chucky because Jennifer Tilly's hot and uh, she's a big poker player, so she can make some money. So uh, you got, uh, yeah, I don't see, I don't, don't want to wham bam, thank you, ma'am, on that sucker. Uh, so yeah, kill Children of the Corn, fuck Texas Chainsaw Massacre three, and Mary Bride of Chucky. That is the correct answer. Well, there you go. Uh, I, I will have to acquiesce. I believe Corey is correct. <laughs> you bunch of children fuckers. Well, in no, the corn, corn fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> with the corn, um, that's how you make children, right? <laughs> my God. Okay, well, I think that's going to wrap up the uh, this this episode's uh, mailbag. Jesse, I thank you for joining us. This was fun. Um, maybe this will become a regular regular segment if we can make that happen one of these days. So. Absolutely. I, I, I would love that. I, I've been thinking of more questions all day and I'm just like, <laughs> I can't ask them like 20,000 <laughs> questions or we'll just be sitting here all day. Yeah, no, that, that was good. Good stuff. So um, yeah, we'll definitely see you lot, again. Buddy. Absolutely. Anytime you guys want, just let me know and I'm here. Awesome. Well, Rock we'll see you later, roll. dude. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, next up is time to do the movie talk, where we are looking at Night of the Demons. So, Corey, you're our resident expert on Night of the Demons. I know you did a lot of research for this one, so why don't you lead us in on this one and tell our listeners what we're in for. Yes, we finally get to the movie portion of the movie podcast. Uh, Night of the Demons, released in 1988, uh, directed by Kevin Tenney, who previously had made the... uh, classic movie witchboard which you haven't seen i highly recommend he wrote and directed that it's about a uh, ouija board gone wrong and uh it's one of those movies that lots of these ouija board type movies these days clearly borrow from uh it's a classic bit of 80s with everything from the acting the styles just everything witchboard 1986 great movie highly recommend it but, uh, so his next movie is Nigh the Demons, which, um, was originally titled Halloween Party. But apparently, Mustafa Akkad, the, uh, producer of the Halloween franchise, called and was, you know, threatening suing them and everything because apparently Halloween just belongs to him, even though it's a pretty popular holiday. So they, uh, regardless, they changed the name to Nigh the Demons. And at that time, they had already shot the, uh, initial title sequence which is this really cool animated uh bit that they did and it this was a low budget movie obviously so going back and redoing all that the people were like we're gonna have to start from scratch we don't have all those motion captures still handy so what they did is they just got a new title die of the demons and superimposed that over halloween party and the title die of the demons was big enough they actually covered it all so that was pretty neat and also the main artist that worked on that initial sequence had just finished doing uh, the animation for the little mermaid. She was uh, responsible for Ursula and went on to do like Jafar and Aladdin. So she was all about doing like villainous characters and shit and was like super excited about this. Um, But a little bit more about Kevin Tenney. He basically was known as just a guy that could come in 
and knock the movie out, you know, on time and on budget. Uh, after this, he uh, wrote, directed, and produced Witch Trap, uh, The Cellar, Peacemaker, Witchboard 2, Witchboard 3. He did the classic Pinocchio's Revenge. He wrote and directed that. Then uh, he wrote Night of the Demons 3 in 97 and served as a producer on Night of the Demons, uh, the remake in 2009 with Edward Furlong and Shannon Elizabeth, which he said, like, compared to the uh, other remakes like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, he claims that the Night of the Demons remake is the best of them all. But, uh, you know, that's subjective. Have you all seen any of those other movies he's done? Um, not offhand. I have to, what was that list again? Um, so I'm oh, uh, the outline. Witchboard, Witchtrap, uh, Witchboard 2 and 3, Pinocchio's Revenge. Witchboard, was I that mean, the one that had, like, the Ouija board on the cover? Yeah. Okay, I always yeah. remember those. I never saw them, though, but I remember the, the, the box covers. Yeah, I had never seen it, but just in researching this, I saw that that was his first movie in the movie he made right before Night of the Demon, so I checked it out, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, really silly movie. I mean, typical Ouija board. Uh, Tawny Katane is the female lead in that, and just super hot. I mean, classic mid-'80s hot and uh, terrible actress, but perfect <laughs> for this role. They didn't cast her for her acting abilities, I'd imagine. No, 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 they did not. And uh, the twist at the end is pretty goofy, but uh, it's a great movie. I enjoyed it a lot. I would recommend it. And then, like I said, he followed that up with Night of the Demons. So uh, pretty good uh, start to your career there. Um, the movie was written by a fellow named Joe Augustine. Uh, this was the first movie he'd written. He uh, went on to write the sequel, Night of the Demons 2, and a little flick called Night Angel. But uh, that was pretty much it for him. He went on to, he basically got so stressed out from doing all of this that he had to quit because he was he was a producer on Night of the Demons as well. And he just had to quit all that. And he also a really big, like, paranormal research advocate. He wrote, like, a uh, nonfiction book called Ghost Rider, The Polaroid Ghost and Other True Tales of the Paranormal. Came out in 2014 about some... Uh, Ghosts that like to play with a Polaroid camera and has all this research in it. But um, he's uh, one of those serious paranormal research guys that goes around the haunted houses and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, he uh, only wrote this and a couple others, so not much there. But, uh, yeah, this movie, like I said, pretty low budget. Uh, Tenney says that it probably was about $1.2 from what, People say, although he claims that it was nowhere near that, just from what he actually saw and what he had to work with. So it was pretty interesting how they uh, worked around all that. And, uh, Cody, we were talking earlier how um, you were, you've were you told us in the past how people will find a location and they kind of tailor the story around that. And this is similar to what happened. They had the story, but they went to this house that they found in the middle of Los Angeles, and they kind of just re went back and retconned the story to fit into what they had available in those rooms. So uh, have you ever worked on a project like that? You've established that, that exterior location. They're like, Oh man, I like this place. Sometimes maybe they shoot the interiors like, uh, Oh, you know, sometimes maybe they shoot those interiors elsewhere, but man, something can be said for like being able to show shots where you're going in inside and outside of a house that just has this flavor. The house becomes a character and they write around it. You know what I mean? On on this one, it was like, 
you know, they, they could do anything they wanted just because they had, you know, just unlimited rooms to say, oh, we're in the bathroom now, we're in the kitchen, we're in the party room, you know, uh, we're in the demon room, we're in the room that is just for night. And we're saying that basically they lived in this house, like some of the rooms were their dressing rooms and yeah. whatnot. And oh, uh, just when uh, Kevin Tenney was saying when he went back to help out with uh, Die of the Demons 3, I think it was, in his mind, he had changed the geography of the house to what he had made in the movie. Because in the movie, they go down a hallway and turn left, and then the next shot, they're in this room. But in reality, if you turn left, it's a closet. But, you know, they just changed it up with, you know, when a door opens, they do a cut there and go to a different room, not necessarily what is physical. Oh, man. I I did a film once called The Hoot Owl, and we were out in, like, the middle of Vernon, Texas, Middle East, Texas, and we were in this trailer that had, like, a sunken in pit that was, like, falling to the floor. And in the movie, I think one of the characters, like, possibly eats an aborted fetus. Uh, Yeah, this is a wild fucking movie, and and it should come out one day, but we all lived on the set as a crew. (laughs) So we were like sleeping in the living room that we were also filming in. So we'd be like starting fires to stay warm because there was no central heating in this place. There was no power. And I was just like staying up late, just like smoking K2, just like in this like room where the whole crew is like sleeping and stuff. It was wild as fuck. But yeah, we got by. But it was like that location was like some dude's grandma's trailer house, whatever. It was full of all these creepy knickknacks and it sells the movie, man. I mean, when you see it, you're just, you'll just be like, oh, the Hoot Owl is a fucking hoot. Uh, but yeah, man, I can't wait to, for y'all to see Augustine Frizzell just eat a burrito that is also an aborted fetus. And I, 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 this isn't a spoiler, like, because you, I could, I could not, I could be like, oh, I'm not going to uh, spoil this for you, but you know, I could. So, well, so the star, the first build, at least, because um, to me, the star of the movie is Lene uh, Quigley. But uh, Kathy Podwell, who plays Judy, the good girl next door who doesn't really want to give it up for her boyfriend. Um, this was really her first movie. She uh, did this in 1988. But then right after it, she went on to appear in Dallas uh, for three seasons, 70 episodes. She played J.R. Ewing's second wife, Callie Harper Ewing. And uh, she was kind of the innocent girl next door there, but it turned out to be scheming. I never really watched Dallas too much. So oh, she shot JR. Them. I think that was a little bit before. Oh, but okay. uh, I'm sure she probably he, was a he suspect. JR, he probably shot on her. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, oh, absolutely. Well, I guess yeah. the demons launched her, man. That's pretty dope. Yeah, she did that for, uh, and she said that even when she does like conventions or appearances for Dallas, uh, half the people that come up to her are not the demons fans. So, uh, that's really, but after that Dallas from 88 to 91, she did an episode of Beverly Hills, 90210. Uh, she did an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, episode called blue movies where she starred as Audrey candy delight Forrester. So I'm guessing she was a stripper or something, but, and then, uh, speaking of strippers, uh, Amelia Kincaid, who plays Angela, the uh, lady who invites everyone to this party that goes haywire. Um, Amelia Kincaid, she's born in Fort Worth in uh, oh, on December. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funky Town. Uh, New Year's Eve, 1963. She got started as a uh, dancer. She was in uh, music videos for Cher, Scorpion, Sheena Easton. 
Uh, she's the star of the uh, Sex Scene 17 for the Stray Cats, and that's actually how she got discovered for this role. Like, the Billy, uh, but before uh, the like Billy Billy, Billy Setzer, Billy, Brian Setzer, Brian Setzer, yeah, oh Billy, oh Billy Setzer, <laughs> Billy Sorry. Ray Setzer. That's a weird mashup. Uh, she is also in Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo in 1984. No. Her aunt is, uh, we were talking about the Golden Girls a little bit yesterday and today. Uh, her aunt is Rue McClanahan. Dude. And uh, in 1985, she guest starred in an episode of the Golden Girls uh, called Ladies of the Evening, where she played hooker number two. So I guess that's, you know, you, you, you're related to the big movie stars. You get hooker, hooker number two in, on your uh, resume there. Maybe you come back as By, a guy. Uh, blood. Uh she got the role for Night of the Demons because they were actually the one of the famous scenes in the movie is her dancing in front of the fire, uh, all sexy like. Oh right! And uh, she did on the condition she get to choreograph it because she's a big dancer, very proud of that. And um, actually, the guy that plays Sal in the movie was telling a story in uh, the making of documentary I watched where. Uh, right before they started filming, he was in a strip club up in North Hollywood. And lo and behold, who comes out on stage? Well, Amelia Kincaid. So uh, she was definitely a dancer of all sorts. Um, <laughs> she really didn't have much of a career after this. Shockingly, she played a dancer in Roadhouse. So, you know, try to see if you yeah. can spot her. Oh, deuce. Bouncer, uh, you're the cooler. <laughs> I don't feel pain. Uh, uh, with the bad guy from Roadhouse, Marshall Teague. He is the uh, Texas version of Steven Seagal. He does the martial arts. He's a kind of a badass. He's also a sheriff. He also plays music. Uh, so I was on set of this movie called Universal Squadrons, which he was in, and they're doing an ad lib scene. The soldiers are laughing. One of the Wait, soldiers- is this like a ripoff of Universal Soldiers? Uh, yes, but these soldiers, when they were in Iraq, they thought they were playing a video game, but instead they were actually drugged up fucking super soldiers that moved like <laughs> Edward the Vampire. <laughs> and so in the film, Marshall Teague, the bad guy who gets his throat ripped out in Roadhouse, by the way, that's how you have to say Roadhouse. it. Patrick Swayze. Uh, so in that film, he has a great line. And so in Universal Squadrons, he plays the scientist that gave them the drugs that made them the super soldiers. And in the scene, they're all like, ha ha ha. They're like laughing because they're psycho and they're in psychosis and they've had his drugs. And one of the actors, Brian Massey, motherfucking killer dude. He's great at everything he does. He's in like year one. He's in a bunch of movies. He's in W and he has one of the best voices but so he said and i shit you not to marshall teague's face he said i used to fuck guys like you in prison which is the same line he delivers in roadhouse right before he gets his throat ripped out and when that happened that was the first time i saw that guy break he turned and looked at him then marshall teague sees me like trip a little bit because i was like there was a cable on the ground and he comes over and like grabs me like an action star like like his hand like underneath my arm and he's just holding me and he's just holding my hand there we like met eyes and i was like thanks man i'm good and he just was like be careful son and then i put a mic on him and i was like all right i'm gonna push this mic <laughs> onto his body and i pushed it and it felt like i was hit, touching like pushing the side of a barn it was hard as a fucking rock and then one of the best things that's ever happened we had to reshoot a scene because the dit who's the guy who like downloads all the footage he fucked up 
and he lost a scene, which was Marshall's shot. So this is a bad guy from Roadhouse. He used to fuck guys like you in prison, and you lost his scene. So when the guy that lost a scene had to come get the, the SD card with the new scene we shot on it, okay? And when we shot that scene, oh, Marshall was not excited about it. Oh, we got to reshoot this? Oh, really? What happened? So when Daniel, who lost the scene, comes to collect the new memory card, we give the memory card to Marshall Teague, certified badass, sheriff, martial artist, rocker by night, Marshall Teague. He fucks guys like you in prison. So <laughs> the kid comes over there, and Daniel is like the sweetest, like kind of like almost like a, you know, like a Woody Allen, Mort Goldberg, like kind of like little skinny little guy. And he's, he's like, Oh, what is the card? You have the card. And he's got, Marshall's got it in his front pocket. And he's like, you see this card when, when you get back, if my face isn't on this card, this card's going to be on your face. <laughs> and stared at him for like 19 seconds. And the kid grabbed it and he just held it. And he just held the card, and they had like a moment. And he let it go, and I'm telling you, man. So anyway, back to, uh, back to Amelia K. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I don't know. Uh, she, <laughs> like, uh, she, <laughs> you derailing son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, she did Roadhouse. <laughs> Uh, after that, she uh, was in a few episodes of The Young and the Restless. Then she appeared as Angela in Night of the Demons 2 in 94 and Night of the Demons 3 in 97. And that was it for her acting career. But, but she has kept herself busy as a pet psychic. Oh, I was so she hoping she had a pet whisperer. So he, she wrote a book in 2001. Not only can she talk to animals like Dr. Fucking Doolittle, she can teach you how to do it. As she tells you in her book, straight from the horse's mouth, how to talk to animals and get answers. <laughs> yes. Oh, Not, and, and, straight in the horse's mouth. There. 2001, she wrote uh, straight from the horse's mouth. 2002. He took that newfound fame and that reputation is not only Angela from Nine of the Demons, but also the best-selling author of Straight from the Horse's Mouth. She was invited to fucking Buckingham Palace to work with the household cavalry of Queen Elizabeth and whisper with the hunting horses of Prince Charles. Dude, she's rubbing elbows with royalty. Royalty. She also wrote uh, three other books. Uh, the Language of Miracles, a celebrated psychic, teaches you to talk to animals. She's referring to herself as celebrated psychic. Uh, Soulmates with Paws, Hooves, and Wings in 2013. And then Whispers from the Wild, listening to the voices from the animal kingdom in 2016. So uh, she has done quite the... Uh, post acting career with her animal whispering. I think we're going to and have, um we're going to have to have her on the show on the cast. Oh yeah. Well shit, uh, like I was talking to you guys, if you look at her IMDb page, she wrote her own biography. Oh, that was, that, that's retardedly good. Yeah, that's, that's, so that's whenever a, you get a celebrity writing their own biography, I can say that it retardedly good good thing. You'll see. <laughs> So, yeah, that's Amelia Kincaid, uh, credited as Mimi Kincaid 
when this was made. So, uh, and then um, we also have a few other characters I want to mention before we get to the my favorite person in this movie. Uh, Hal Havens plays the obnoxiously offensive stooge. He's the guy that's uh, dressed up with the pig nose and the mohawk and whatnot. He had uh, previously appeared in Story Babes and Slimeball Bolorama in 1988, a little bit earlier in that year, and then uh, went on to be in Witch Trap, um, Kevin Tenney's follow-up movie in 1989. Uh, he keeps acting, but nothing huge or anything like that. Then we have, um, just to mention, Her- Harold Eyer as the old man who's at the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. Uh, Alvin Alexis plays Roger, the guy who turns out to be kind of the hero. And then uh, Billy Gallo, who played Sal, the uh, smart-ass uh, Jersey kid. Yeah, that's Billy there. Gallo. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but then uh, let me get to my own personal favorite screen, screen queen, Linnea Quigley. She plays Suzanne. Um not much on the acting in this one. Uh, very, I don't know. Just she's using her body more than her talents. But um, she had started in Graduation Day in 1981, the classic exploitation film Savage Streets with Linda Blair about female gangs in 84, Silent Night, Deadly Night later on in 84. Uh, yeah, probably yeah. her most famous role uh, as Trash in Return of the Living Dead where she does the full-on striptease in the cemetery and does the dance that everyone loves. I mean, who doesn't love some trash? That shit is as good as tomato soup and a tuna fish sandwich on a cold winter's night. Toasted. (laughs) Tuna and tomato soup, huh? Yeah, you know it. Do you eat that? Dude, that's like a staple from my childhood. Uh, I heard like grilled cheese in tomato soup or something, but used to make like these like dope like chicken salads or tuna salads, uh, and put them on like little little crispy little toasties, and that's what I dipped in the tomato soup my whole life. And they also put milk in that bitch. I mean, that's that's the only way to make Campbell's tomato soup. And I'm I'm not sitting here standing for fucking Campbell's soup, but I I won't I won't lie, they got tasty shit. Well, there you go. Maybe hey, we'll get an uh, endorsement. Second Geeks, brought to you by Campbell's <laughs> Tomatoes. <laughs> so she uh, trash in Return of the Living Dead. Then she was uh, the bad girl uh, that saves the day in Story Babes and Slime Ball Bolorama. Uh, she also, the, I think the best horror movie <laughs> title, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers in 88. Uh Fantastic, fantastic. Is it yeah. to watch? Yeah, I, I mean, I own it. Oh, shit. I, yeah, we got to watch it. Yeah, for sure. She, uh, after Night of the Demons, she was in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. She started in the first two Vice Academy movies. And, I mean, she, to this day, keeps making just great B movies. That uh, I mean, she's one of those people that has happily embraced her role as a screen queen and making these... Uh, low-budget horror movies, exploitation movies, and uh seems like she really goes out of her way to help uh, filmmakers. Just uh, kind of like the way Felissa Rose does. Just nice. She knows what she's good at. She knows what she's known for, and she embraces it instead of running away from it. And I got to respect that. That's a, that's the best. some of the, the best relationships in the business. It may not be because 
you love the story or this or that. It's just like this familial relationship where you start saying, oh, I like I resonate with this wavelength. And you can get in there and do your best work and people like respond to it. And especially for people to respond to characters like that, that aren't the hero. They're not the, you know, the guy, the, the bad guy, you know, they're not like the monster. It's kind of, it's kind of kick ass. Yeah. That, that kind of cult following to come from not necessarily just the sex appeal, but also just the, like the character acting of these, of these people. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, she definitely has the sex appeal, but, uh, and really she's not the lead in any, I mean, Sorority Babes, Slimeball, Bullarama, yes. Uh, but like in, she's supporting roles in lots of these, but she's just so, she's been so fucking many of them that she's, you know, is what she's known for. And, yeah. uh, I really dig her. I think she's awesome and love all those movies. Um, so at this point, I think we will, uh, you know, go into just talking through the movie now that we know who made it and, Okay, uh, another thing I want to talk about is the guy that did the special effects for this movie, uh, Steve Johnson. He was actually the guy that created the, the Slimer character in Ghostbusters. Oh, what? what? Oh, yeah. He was the heir to the Big Johnson t-shirt uh, fortune. <laughs> I like, no, I, no, he... Uh, yeah, he had worked on movies with Rob, people like Rob Botton in the past... Uh, he worked on Ghostbusters, Big Trouble in Little China. He had uh, started working on uh, Smooth Criminal with Michael Jackson, but was actually fired from that. But this was the first movie where he was the lead guy as far as effects goes. And there's a scene in Night of the Demons where Linnea Quigley is uh, drawing herself with lipstick, and she shoves lipstick through her nipple, the entire lipstick case, and goes in there. So she had to go in to get this fake uh, chest piece made from like neck to belly so that they could make it look real without, uh, you know, anything without a bad cut in the, in the, where it's like, Oh, that's where they did. So it starts off with this wide shot and then it just goes down and it's all one continuous thing. But when she went in there, he started making, you know, that chest piece on her and it was love at first sight and they no shit got married. That's after awesome. meeting. Fucking that's the way they met. Is him making a. That, you know, that's how I met my wife. Yeah, uh, making her exactly. boobs. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, no, she was an extra <laughs> in a short film, and uh, yeah, yeah, we we had a we had an immediate like 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 reaction and uh, yeah, like, flirted like the whole day, and then at the end of the day, I was like finished with my work. She sent me a message on Facebook. I had a girlfriend at the time and I just saw the message and was like, Oh, I can't respond to that. Then like two years later I was single and we saw each other on Facebook and like different people's posts or pictures. And I was like, Hey, what are you doing? It's your birthday. Let's hang out. And then we went to a movie and never stopped hanging out for the last six years. There you go. It pays all to be a decent person. Sometimes it it happens to, uh, it happens to the best of us. You know, you're just putting a chess piece on your old lady. And next thing you know, she's (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, they weren't married that long, but he went on to do a whole shitload of effects uh, work that you probably uh, have seen. Um, holy shit! Of course, I say that that I can't find anything that in my notes. Uh, Lord of Illusions, the Clyde Barker movie. Shout out, Clyde. Uh, yeah, he did uh, worked on uh, the Stephen King miniseries, The Stand and The Shining. Uh, he worked a little bit on. 
What's that? What about the Langoliers? No, I'm just kidding. It's no. Pincho. <laughs> uh, yeah, he worked uh, the alien. He created the alien creatures for the Abyss. He oh. created the uh, Sill and Species. No. So yeah. I, I mean, yeah. He worked on American Werewolf in London. Um, he's not, not only Slimer, he also did the Librarian Ghost in Ghostbusters. Dude, he's the goo. He's the king of goo. Yeah, like it, everything. Wow, I wonder. I mean, I'd love to get a, a retrospective of how he f- curates his goos. Is it like, is it bean thickener or is it like <laughs> some sort of syrup? What? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, there's on the Blu-ray copy that Chris and I have of Night of the Demons, he has a pretty lengthy section in it talking about everything. And how, since this was his first movie, he viewed it as his movie. That it wasn't the director's movie or the writer's movie. It was his movie. So he kept coming with them, all these things, and the director kind of had to be like, cool, this is the way we're going to shoot it, figure out how to make it work this way. And you get keep kind of putting him in his place. But the director kind of was the, the producers, you know, and you know this better than I do. There's like, we can't afford that. And so the director had to kind of play the middleman. It's like, okay, we're not doing this. We're shooting it this way. Figure out how to work within this framework. That's how, that's exactly how the best movies get made. You just like, you have to take your best goo and combine it with their best goo. And that guy, <laughs> he did it. You know? He sucked it up. He sucked up his goo and said, look, I know my Goo is great, but sometimes there's, you have a big goo vision. You just gotta, you just gotta collaborate, goo collaborate. Yeah, and he, you know, he ended up married to Linnea Quigley for a couple. I mean, it was I mean, literally two wins, years. Kind of wins the internet on that situation, you know. Like he strolls into set, he makes the he makes the dopest like like real time like practical effects. Then he's just like, oh yeah, guess what? Bang it out with the lead. Uh, she's mine now. <laughs> Action. He's the director. At yeah. The end of the day. yeah. He owns the studio. But he yeah, does. so uh, I just wanted to mention Steve Johnson because I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, and Shut I mean, Johnson, the guy that made, he made Slimer. Shit. I didn't know this guy existed. So yeah, and Ghostbusters, I know for me, is a huge part of my childhood. And I think anyone about our age that's into horror. But yeah. Uh, so that will about wrap it up for Night of the Demons. Uh, I'm sure there's a little bit that we missed, but uh, feel free to tell us about it on the Facebook group. Um, Cody, anything you want to plug or tell us about before we sign off? Man, uh, one one thing would be uh, just one moment. Let me just take just a quick gander because I have to make sure I get all the information right. I don't know if you guys are big toy fans like me, but... I love fucking toys. I don't fuck the toys, but I like actual toys. I don't care what it's from. Simpsons, Ninja Turtles, the Baby Yoda, Nightmare on Elm Street, whatever it is. I think you guys should check out the shop. It's called Back Alley Toys. It's in it's it's a local shop here in Dallas. It's a guy I know. Is it in a back alley? It's it. Look, that's sort of the problem here. You can't meet them in person. <laughs> going to ship it to you because because everything that's going on. You know, you don't want to get this back alley action unless you're just getting toys. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, go to backalleytoys.com, take a look, find something for your kids, find something from your childhood, find something nostalgia. So I I asked the owner, I'm like, hey, man, how's your Simpson collection? He looks me dead and in, right into my eyes, right to the windows of my soul, and he goes, fucking on point. And I was like, okay, I get I get you. I get you. But anyway, that's about the that's about the only thing I have here is just, you know, showing some love for the local boys and maybe, oh, you know, hell some, yeah. 
Christmas is right around the corner, and I know he's got that, you know, that Nightmare on Elm Street mini bust. Anyway, happy Halloween, bitches. There you go. Yeah, happy Halloween. Definitely, this should be coming out Halloween Eve. Uh, I know we're trying to put together some kind of watch along on Halloween night, late night. Uh, so stay uh, tuned for information on that. We'll put it on the Facebook page. Hopefully, we'll have it figured out by the time this episode <laughs> comes out. Uh, I want to thank Jesse for being kind enough to join us for our Mel Body Bag, a new segment we're doing, and hopefully uh, do it more often. So if you got questions, send them in. Uh, thanks for bearing with us. We had people coming in and out today. Uh, we will get Big Cat back. Uh, he will be released from the Big Cat cage eventually. Uh, wow. So we miss you, Big Cat. And uh, Cody, good talking to you again. And uh, until next time, buddy. Geeks. Geeks. Later. Geeks. 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 All right. Let me text Chris. A full moon. A spooky, deserted mansion. Halloween night. All right, dudes. And dudesses. That's pretty. Ten kids. All they want to do is raise a little hell. Now, as long as they live, they'll wonder what's gotten into them. Night of the Demons. Blessed be the sinners, for the Day of Atonement is at hand. I'm looking at me. What's up, Bloodsuckers? This is Cody here, and this is our Halloween special. If you guys haven't seen Night of the Demons, I, I highly suggest get your ass on it right the fuck now. But if you haven't, and you just want to just check it out, you just want to hear a recap, here comes Corey. But here's the thing. All I know is that it's like there's a lot of demons at night, and I don't know why, but this particular night is of the demons. Corey, if you will.
All right, so now the demon starts off with Stu telling Roger in the car. Stu's moons, this old guy that's walking down the road. He's a cranky old motherfucker, but Stu's moons him. You see his big fat ass hanging out the window. Uh, makes this old man drop all his groceries. Suddenly, Sal, the sassy New Jersey kid, surprises him with a fake rat, which always scares old people. They hate fake rats. Right after that, just as he's gathering himself yet again, Judy, our lovely girl, makes rats if he needs help, and he tells her to piss the fuck off. And then he looks down at his groceries. He's got a bag of apples. He's got a box of razor blades. He holds them up for the camera and says, These kids are going to get what's coming to him. So that myth is true. People do put razor blades in apples. Sal and Billy did have a confrontation outside while Sal tries to get info about the party that's going down that night, threatening assault against a minor from his own mother and his own house. Sal finally gets the information and steals Billy's mask that he made. Suzanne and Angela are next in a convenience store where they're stealing supplies for the Halloween party. Suzanne showing off her ass to two horny convenience store clerks, uh, while Angela pilfers all the booze and fun stuff they need for the party. Suzanne makes a joke about them having sour balls and how they don't get jobs. Then Jay arrives to pick up Judy. Conversation with Billy and bunch logs about bunch logs. They look exactly like turds, but they taste delicious. Uh, later on, they arrive at the house where the movie starts, uh, Hall House. At that point, just a second. Uh, so, at this point, everyone arrives at the house where the party's going to be. It's called the Hall House, not Fudge House. Uh, it's an old abandoned mortuary that evil things happen. Lots of people died. Uh, there's a brick wall built around the house over an underground stream meant to keep the evil out. And we get the party going with uh, boombox and loud punk rock and roll. There's a strobe light, which apparently to these kids is the coolest, most unusual thing they've ever seen. It's far fucking out, according to Suzanne. Stooge and Roger discover a mirror. Holy shit, a mirror. It's very spooky. Angela leads everyone in a past life seance. And then at that point is when the demon head makes its presence known in the mirror. And then a random face is shattered into the mirror and tears all these poor children. Okay, the next thing happens is we have a demon point of view shot as the demon zooms out of the fucking furnace and goes throughout the house tracking all the way through looking for someone to find and finally it dives deep 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 down Suzanne's throat uh, at that point Roger and Helen decide to get the hell out of this house because it's getting too creepy Judy J Max and Franny break away to go get frisky and Suzanne rejects Sal's frisky advances and takes Suze with her to go get naughty uh, before leaving with Suze Suzanne makes out with Angela passing the demon onto Angela who is now possessed uh, Roger and Helen on the outside can't find their way out because this brick wall that goes all around the house is changed and now there's no exit suddenly Helen disappears and Roger being the brave man he has locks himself in the car and says fuck you lady you're on your own Judy and Jay are then seen making out Judy's not feeling it and Jay's not having that so he ditches her she becomes locked in the room and Jay doesn't care he wants to go get his room on Suzanne then transforms into a demon into the bathroom where Suze's way outside to pee pee he busts into the bathroom to investigate and sees nothing. Angela then does a dirty dance for Sal. Radio turns on by itself. The strobe light turns on by itself. Sal is freaked out, leaves. Stooge appears and begins dancing with Angela because, boy, the girls like the mohawk dude with the pig nose. They make out, and in that sense, she bites off his fucking tongue and therefore makes him a demon because that's what happens. Then Sal discovers Suzanne. She's painting her face in the bathroom with lipstick. She's drawing a big heart from the middle of her eyebrows over her eyes, down to her chin, and back up. Looks kind of like a, a Courtney Love type thing. I'm sure she's done that before. Uh, then she continues that down onto her breast, making a spiral all the way into her nipple where she pokes the lipstick into it where it disappears. Uh, Sal wants no part of this because he's sensible. However, Judy's uh, jilted lover, Jay, stumbles upon it, and he's all about it. So they actually start going at it um, while they're doing it. Suzanne turns into a demon and gouges his fucking eyes out while fucking him. Um, Sal then sees Angela by the fire, and she says she's just warming her hands, and no shit, her hands are literally on fire. So Sal has seen enough and runs outside. Um, Roger back out of the car has Helen's body suddenly reappear, falling from the sky and breaking into the windshield. Max and Franny are getting busy in a casket. Suge appears and spins Franny's neck around 360, breaking it as we see some lovely uh, breast shots of Franny and then slams the coffin lid shut on Max's arm until it falls off, thus transforming both of them into demons. Uh, then Demon Angela stalks Roger and Sal inside the house. They're running from her. Um, they rescue Judy out of the locked room. Angela appears. Roger runs off like the coward he is, but he lives. Uh, Sal and Judy run. Discover Suzanne and Jay are both now demons. Uh, Suzanne knocks Sal out of a window and Judy flees into the room where the coffin is. And uh, we find two more demons, Max and Franny. Uh, Judy runs into Roger again before being chased by Sue. It's very confusing. There's lots of chasing demons, non demons. You get it. Uh, Angela attacks Judy on the roof. Sal intervenes, tackles Angela off the roof, and while they fall, uh, Sal gets impaled on a stake. And there's already a grave for him that says Sal Romero. Um, Roger and Judy eventually get away lock themselves in the basement. Stooge and Angela are trying to get through the door. Judy busts up a pipe from the crematorium, turns into a flamethrower, lights up Stooge and Angela, run away. Roger and Judy start the front door's locked. Jay and Angela reappear all burnt up now. Sal and Helen confront them. Uh, so basically you have Roger and Judy being surrounded by all that. Their former friends are now demons. Roger does the smart thing, says deuces, jumps out a window, lands, and he's like, oh shit, I'm still alive, realizing he jumped out of a first floor window. And then Judy calmly steps out of that window. Uh, next thing, I mean, they uh, run off towards the brick wall. They climb up a barbed wire strand that's hanging down from the wall. Roger goes over first, uh, reaches down to help Judy. All the demons are out there trying to pull her down. Uh, Roger eventually gets her up and over as the sun comes up and all the demons are destroyed in a big cloud of green smoke. The demon head reappears before disappearing and then we see Roger and Judy staggering home all torn up after the rough Halloween night past the grumpy old man's house from the first of the movie where he says, you motherfucking kids. Uh, he goes inside because first thing in the morning, what does people want? They want apple pie. And his wife has baked him up a delicious apple pie. He scarfs it down then shortly after realizes the razor blades he bought earlier have been baked into the apple pie, and all the razor blades start gushing out his throat and tearing it out. The ray collapses on the table. His wife comes up, gives him a kiss on the cheek, says, Happy Halloween, dear. In the movie. God damn. <laughs>